Well, Happy New Year. I was out of here last week traveling on vacation with the family, and this is my first service in the new year, and I welcome you today. My final sermon in 2019 was about anxiety, worry, and fear. My first sermon in 2020 is going to be about something that causes all three. Let me begin today by asking three stupid questions. First question is, do you want financial freedom? Number two, do you want to not worry about money? I told you they were stupid questions. <laughs> Number three, do you want a financially secure future? Can you imagine anyone saying no to any of those three stupid questions? That's why they're stupid questions. There are people in this room, I know personally, today that already know how to do all three. And they're living yes on all three of those stupid questions. They have financial freedom. They do not worry about money and their future is financially secure. There's people in this room who could stand up here today and give you a testimony about those three things, the who, what, when, how it happened in their life. Do you want it? I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel to you. You know me better than that. I went back and looked it up it's been three years since I specifically preached on money and giving in this church. January 2017, three years ago. I looked it up. So if you think that's something that preacher talks about, you'd just be wrong. Unless the last time you were here was January 2017. <laughs> and if that is true, then God is talking to you specifically. <laughs> I don't really like to preach on money. I, I confess, I don't like to preach on money or giving because I feel like many people have this preconceived idea that the church is after your money. You couldn't be any further from the truth. But I must tell you the truth. When I don't preach on money and giving, I am doing you wrong. I am withholding from you a blessing, a blessing from you, for you and your family. And for that, I apologize. It's been three years. You see, I, I'm convinced that today's topic will give you a chance to do something that you never thought possible, a chance for you specifically, you to be able to be a blessing to somebody else financially. For you to be a conduit through which God delivers a blessing to somebody. Not about you, not about the accumulation of your wealth, but that God would bless you so that you could bless others. Today I offer you a blessing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's called truth. 
It's called truth. Everything I'm going to tell you today is straight out of here. Some of you have tried it your way for a long time, and it's not working. If you be honest, there's people in the room, you've tried it your way a long time, and it's not working, and why don't you consider to trying it God's way? Well, you got to lose. This is not going to be some Dave Ramsey class, even though I think Dave Ramsey has some very good financial advice. This is going to be directly from the Bible. Let me give you an example. There are 38 parables in the Bible given by Jesus. 38 parables in the Bible given by Jesus. 16 of them are on how to manage your possessions. 16 of the 38 are on stewardship. Do you think he's trying to communicate something to us? Do you think he understands one of our uh, one of the things that we struggle with in our life, that's 42% of the parables of Jesus are on stewardship. I heard John Hagee one time say there are 500 verses in the New Testament on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and 2,000 verses on how to achieve financial freedom by managing what God has given you. It's called stewardship. The Bible gives clear counsel about how we should manage that which we have received from God. You're going to hear the word stewardship. And I want to tell you, most people, when they hear a preacher talk about stewardship, they're thinking, why did I pick today to come to church? It's not a bad word. It's a wonderful word. It means God has given you something and he's given you an opportunity to do something with that something. And he's paying attention. Are you? Some of you have tried it your way a long time. And today I'm just asking simply this. Listen. Just listen. Listen and consider trying it God's way. Are you ready to listen? Because I'm about to read to you the foundation of stewardship the foundation of stewardship as described by Jesus Christ himself. It's so simple, and yet I find most adults struggle with this simple concept. It's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I can imagine some guy leaning over to his wife right now and saying, I knew he was going to say that. I also can hear some guy saying, of all the Sundays, why did I come today? That's the end of my New Year's resolutions. That scripture I just read, I didn't say it. Jesus did. You hear me? I didn't say that. That didn't come from me. Jesus did. The one that we say we believe in. The one that we believe is absolute truth. Your king said that. Your savior, your redeemer, your lord, your master, the creator. He said that. Do you know 
what the first word in that verse was? Give. I grew up in a church, and I've always heard preachers talk about giving, but I've always wondered how many people in the church actually do it. My wife and I started giving to the church when we first got married, and I can tell you we didn't have much to give to the church back in those days. I don't really remember when we started tithing 10%, and the word tithing is a tenth. It's 10% of our income. In fact, let me tell you what happened. When I, we first got married, I lost my job. Right after I got, we got married in November, and almost immediately, I lost my job. And we charged groceries at Birdie's store. I still remember that. My wife brings it up. We charged groceries at Birdie's store, Walter Perry's Grocery, and got through that winter. But we continued to tithe to the church. If I remember correctly, we worked our way up to tithing on our net income. And let me describe what, I'm just going to give you a testimony, okay? I, I don't remember where we started. It's been too long ago. But I remember we had this goal. We were going to tithe on our take-home pay, our net income, that which we brought home. We worked our way up to that. It was in 1988. We did that for several years. And in 1988, 32 years ago, after I had a life-changing encounter with God, when God, in that, in that revival at Corinth Christian Church, in that place, 9th August, 1988, God spoke to me so clear. He said, either you believe it all or you believe none of it. Either you believe it all or you believe none of it. It was in that event that we decided that we needed to do something. We needed to not tithe on our net. We needed to tithe on our gross. We need to stop playing games with math. So we started August 1988 tithing on our gross. That means, that means the whole thing. Before the government monster comes and eats what's in that check, you tithe on the whole thing. Okay? Today I tell you a testimony, not to brag or to seem super spiritual. But I give you a testimony as to God's faithfulness. Because, you know, it's kind of a scary thing to start doing that, to, to tithe on your gross. But I kept having this thing in my mind. What did God say? Either you believe it all or you believe none of it. You believe it all or you believe none of it. You believe it all or you believe none of it. You believe it all or you believe none of it. You believe it all or you believe none of it. Is he referring to stewardship too? See, I, I know the Bible talks clearly about the power of a testimony. In fact, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, how did the church overcome Satan? This scripture always blows me away, by the way. The, the simplicity and the power of this. In Revelation 12, 11, and they defeated him, Satan, and they defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb. You, you only defeat Satan, number one, by the blood of Christ, okay? Everything starts by the blood of the Lamb. But look at what comes next. And they defeated Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by a testimony. I can give you a testimony of God's faithfulness. I can tell you, and you can't say that testimony is not true because it's not yours. It's mine. It's my testimony. And I know it's true. And what was the third thing? And they did not love their lives so much that they would shrink back from death. They weren't afraid to die. 
So today I've got a testimony. When we made that decision, 1988, to tithe on our gross, my annual income from the previous year, which would have been 1987, Chad, my, my oldest son was one year old at the time when we made this decision. My annual income, are you ready for this whopping number? $23,744. You can say, yeah, but that was BC, right? It's before Chad, okay? <laughs> this is not about money. But God had just called me in 1988. God had just called me to give him my life. Are you hearing me? Give, me my, give him my life. And if I didn't trust him to give him my tithe, how could I possibly believe that I trusted him to give him my life? Following that decision to trust God with our tithe, here's my testimony. We experienced, Janet and I, and my children and the children that would come in the subsequent years, we experienced 15 straight years, 1988 to 2002, of supernatural harvest from God. And I'm talking about supernatural. I'm talking about things happen that I can't even begin to tell you. My pay and my position at the company that I worked at before I came here increased and I'm using the word supernaturally. Supernaturally. I can't explain it any other way. It was supernaturally. I went from like the lowest guy in the company to the number two guy in the company. My pay went from, I told you what it was, down here to up here. Supernaturally. We continued to tithe on the gross. In fact, one of the funny things is, it's real easy to tithe on the gross when you ain't making nothing. But then when that number gets really big, man, that's a big check. We continued to tithe on our gross through all these supernatural increases of the Lord. And at the end of that 15 years, after 15 years of supernatural blessing of God, in April of 2002, God called again. And I resigned my position. I came to this church. The reason I tell you all this today is to give you a testimony about God's power to defeat Satan. God's power to defeat Satan and to confirm this teaching of Jesus about stewardship. I want to read it again. I want, today I confirm, I give you a testimony that God is faithful to those who believe him. Luke 6, 38. Here we go. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is not going to be about getting rich. This is not about getting wealthy. This is not, listen, church, that's why it's not the prosperity gospel. This has nothing to do with accumulating wealth. In fact, this has never been about accumulating wealth, but about your ability to receive wealth so that you can distribute wealth to those who need it. 
so that you can become a blessing to other people. This is about believing God to be who He says He is and to do what He says He will do. In 2002, God called me to trust Him with all that I had. We had three kids under 16 years of age, and Janet was a stay-at-home mom. There was nothing about that decision. Listen, there was absolutely—if you look at it from a world's perspective, if you take a calculator and put it on the kitchen table and look at the decision to leave that world and come to this church back in 2002, there was nothing that made financial sense, nothing except this. One thing. Give and you will receive. One thing. But I want you to notice something else from Jesus' statement. Notice what he says about the return on the investment. Most people read over this. It's four times. Are you hearing me? It's four times. Fourfold. Did you notice? In the NLT, it says, press down, give, and you'll receive. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out. Four times. Four times. That's a four-time return on your investment. I had experienced that supernatural blessing of God for 15 years. For 15 years, I call it a rocket ride. I had 15 years. It's like riding this rocket through this company, and, and the money kept coming and coming and coming and coming, and positions kept coming and coming. Did I really think that He would stop blessing me if I trusted Him? I, that was in my mind. Everything that belongs to God gives. I want you to think about it. Everything that belongs to God gives because God's a giver. And God can give more than you can. Do you believe me when I say everything that belongs to God gives? Because if, if you belong to God, He's inside of you. And if He's inside of you, then you're going to become a giver because He's a giver and He's in you. And let me prove how God gives in John 3, 16. I want you to see it. Maybe you don't look at it this way normally. For God loved the world so much that He gave. He's a giver. He gave. He gave what? He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God gave. He's a giver. God gave His Son. Jesus gave His life. If you are connected to God, belong to God, you will give because the Father and the Son are givers. What did you get from them? It's their breath in your lungs this particular moment. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I don't do weddings unless I do pre-marriage counseling. And one of the first things I deal with in pre-marriage counseling is finances. You know why? Because it's the number one cause for divorce. Money. And when I go through pre-marriage counseling, I try to counsel them on this 80-20 rule. I try to I make them try to do a financial budget, put it out on a piece of paper, and do 80-20. The first 10% goes to God. The second 10% goes to your savings account. And you live on 80 or less in your life, and you will never have financial trouble. 
First 10 goes to God. The second 10, put it in the savings account. Quit trying to live on 100%. It won't work. Live on less than 80. And what I usually tell them to try to make the point is, you have a a bill, you pay for electricity, and you pay for water. Just consider that first 10% your oxygen payment. You're breathing his air. He just doesn't send you a bill every month. Eternal life. God gave his son so that you'd have eternal life. What's that worth? God has given us everything we have. And the question is this, do you believe him? It's real easy to talk the talk. You know, it is so easy to talk the talk. Do you believe him that he gives you air to breathe right now? You're breathing his air. It's his life in your lungs. He's given us we, everything we have. Do you believe him? Do you believe that everything you have comes from God? Everything. God gave his son, and today I ask, what have you given him? What is your offering or offerings to God look like? A few minutes ago, we passed these trays around. And in response to what God has given you, what have you given him? What's your response to him? Some people will say, well, you know, that's an Old Testament thing. You know, in the Old Testament, they brought in animal sacrifices and they burned them on altars. I remember one Old Testament story where God was upset. I think it's in the book of Malachi because they're they're bringing in their their bad animals. Well, that's that's a sick animal. Well, he's going to die anyway. Let's use him for the sacrifice. So what is your response? You know, we all, we all have a chance to respond to God. One of the things that happens in corporate worship is we respond to God. It's interesting to me that in this modern day, I would have never planned it like this. We, we've come to the conclusion there are more people watching this service online today than will be in this audience today in both services. What do they do? What will they give to God? Probably a good time to say we do online giving here. (laughs) Did y'all get that on TV? (laughs) You go to the website, nineofachristian.org, and you can do online giving. I want to say something. I want you to know something from my heart. Since I came here, I have never seen what a person gives in this church. I made that decision in the very beginning. I will never let my eyes see an offering. I see the total. But I never see. There are people who do, but I never see. Because I always thought it would influence my decision making. I don't want to be influenced by that in any way. So I don't know what any person in this building gives except me. Now here comes the next spiritual point today. Do you know why it's hard to give? Because giving means that you've got to let go. Some people like to give if I can determine what you're going to do with it. Then you're still not getting it. Because it's hard to let go. One of my favorite lines from John Hagee is this. Giving is the only proof you have that the cancer of greed has not consumed your soul. I'm going to say it again. Giving is the only proof, real proof you have right now that the cancer of greed has not already consumed your soul. So how do I get started? 
How do I become? Okay, preacher, you got my attention. How do I become a giver? You're going to be surprised. It starts by believing God, and then it moves by to trusting God. It starts by believing God, that His Word is absolute truth. And then that believing has to migrate into personal, that now I trust you. Not only do I believe you, I trust you. And with me, it was that 1988 moment when he said, either you believe it all or you believe none of it. Do I believe all of it? I didn't say believing in God. But believing God and then trusting the promises of God. Now, I doubt, I don't know, but I doubt there's a person in this room today that doesn't believe John 3.16. Okay? I, I, I don't know why you'd be here unless somebody made you. That you believe John 3.16. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son. But do you believe this? Do you believe John 6.38? I'm going to put it up here. How many times am I going to read it? You believe John 3.16. Do you believe this? And, it, and before I read it to you, I'm going to ask you a question. If you take one and don't take the other, can you explain to me how you think like that? Is one of them true and the other one isn't? Because here's what the same person, John 3.16, also said this, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over. Poured out in your lap, the amount you give will be determined, will determine the amount you give back. If you believed that to be from God, you'd give. If you believe God would take your gift, your offering to him, and press it down and shake it together and run it over and then pour it into your lap. If you believe God was going to do that, you'd give. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. It's really hard to imagine. Some of you aren't going to like this statement, but I say it in love. It's really hard to imagine that you have given God your life, but you can't bring yourself to give him a tenth of your income. But I gave you my life, but you can't even imagine giving him a tithe? Let's face the truth here. Come on, let's be honest, transparent. We are all selfish people. I look around the room today and I look at a mirror. We are all inherently selfish. We are born selfish. It, we don't easily overcome this sickness. Let me, let me prove it to you. In fact, it's in us from the time we're born. We were at Christmas. On Christmas Day, we went on down to my brother Alan's house. And you know what happens on Christmas Day? All the kids that got new toys on Christmas Day, they all got their new toys at the, the dinner that day, right? They're all coming to that one house, and they're all bringing their favorite toy. Well, I was sitting there with my dad and my brother, and we were talking, and the kids were all kind of over on this side over here. And every one of them had brought their, their favorite new toy, and I watched something happen. One of the kids' toys had laid it down, and another kid came and got it. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. 
this little meek, mild, sweetheart of a child turned into a monster. It's a monster. Boy, the claws came out. That's mine. That's mine. Who are you? That's mine. This little kid this big, what is that? That's who we are. That's who we are. I remember teaching my children about tithing. It's kind of a funny story for me personally. It was easy to watch me do it. My kids, they, they grew up, and we told them what we did. Janet and I told them, this is what we do. We, we bring our offering before the Lord. And then one at a time, I watched my kids grow up and get a paycheck. And every one of the kids, after they get a paycheck, they'd say, which one of those numbers do you do 10% of? The big one. There's no way. Yeah, there's a way. Yeah, there's a way. So who came up with this whole tithe thing? You think some church did that? In that Old Testament stuff? In, in that, c come on, preacher, that's Old Testament. Jesus came to set me free, right? You'd be wrong. Who came up with this Old Testament, this, this tithe thing anyway, this 10%? Do you know that tithing, 10% appears in the Bible 500 years? Listen, 500 years before the law of Moses. 500 years before the law of Moses, you'll see it for the first time. It's in Genesis chapter 14. I want to read it to you. And I don't, before I read it, I want you to notice the connection. The blessing of God is directly connected to the tenth. He connects them in Genesis. Melchizedek became, excuse me, Melchizedek blessed Abram, Abraham with this blessing. Notice blessing, blessing. Blessed, there's three blesseds already, and I even got to the tenth. Blessed be Abram by God, most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God, most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram did something. Blessing, 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 and then Abram did something. Blessing, 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 and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. He tithed in the blessing. They connected. 500 years. So let's fast forward. Then later in the time of Jacob, he's fleeing from his brother Esau. And you know the story about Jacob's ladder, the, when he saw the, uh, the angels going back and forth to heaven. So, so we're going to fast forward to the time of Jacob. Genesis 28, verse 20. And Jacob made this vow while he's seeing God. He's encountering God. Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me, here it comes. If God will indeed protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me, protect and provide. Protect and divide. Look at what Jacob says. If God will indeed protect me and provide for me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. 
And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. There you go. Jacob, God will be my protector and my provider. He is worthy of my offering. Both of these examples, did you notice something? Both of these examples are before the law of Moses. Before the law was ever given to Israel. Hundreds of years before Moses was even born. When God told Moses, he was moving. So let's fast forward from Jacob to the time of Moses. And God tells Moses, I'm going to move into the camp behind the veil in the tabernacle. I'm coming. I'm coming down there to live with you guys. Here's what he says. In Leviticus 27, God to Moses, one-tenth of the produce of your land. Whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Why does God want 10%? Is he running short this month? Why? Because giving 10% to God keeps us from forgetting where the 100% comes from. I want to say it again. Here comes the central point today. Why does God want 10%? What's the deal? Is he running short? What's he going to do with it? Because giving to God keeps you and I from forgetting where 100% comes from. So I want to do something. I got this. Bobby. Bobby, come up here. You should have never sat on that middle row. <laughs> so I want to do something. I figure this is going to cost me 20 bucks today, but it's worth it. So I'm going to make a deal with Bobby. Bobby has no idea what I'm about to do. So Bobby, I'm going to make you a deal. This is my money. Okay? It's not church money. It's my money. I'm going to make this deal. I would give you this $10 under one condition. Actually, two conditions. First condition is that you acknowledge that I'm the giver, that I'm the one who gave it to you, okay? And number two, sometime in the future, I don't care when, sometime in the future, you will come back and give me $1. Is that a good deal? That's a pretty good mathematical deal. Okay. You got 10 bucks. It's a real deal. I don't want, uh, uh, just sometime in the future, you give me a dollar back. Okay. All right. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to do. Now I'm going to ask you who, who in the room wouldn't take that deal, but I'm not offering it to anybody else. <laughs> Let's be clear. This, this is over. I'm glad we only do two services. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? I gave him 10, he keeps nine, gives me one. I'm going to ask you a question. Who wouldn't take that? Who wouldn't take that? A man won $50 million in the lottery. But his family was afraid to tell him because he had a bad heart. They were scared to death he'd kill him. Instead, they called the preacher and asked the preacher, you go tell him. The preacher went to him, said, Tom, I've got some good news. You've just won $50 million in the lottery. Tom said, thank God, I'm going to give 50% of it to the church. And the preacher dropped dead with a heart attack. 
I've had some people over the years tell me, preacher, in fact, I can, I can think of two or three right now. I'm not going to tell you who they are. Preacher, if I win the lottery, I'll pay to build that new children's ministry wing y'all been planning. Let me say something about that thinking. If you won't give 10% of what you have right now, it's highly unlikely you'd pay for a children's ministry wing after you won the lottery. You're just deceiving yourself. It's called hot air. And it's hard to give 10% of hot air. Tithing is how we paid off this building. It was two and a quarter million dollars. We paid it off in six years. You know why? Because people believed God and they tithed. And the Great Commission is moving forward because people tithed. Tithing is like nursery workers in the children's ministry. If everyone did their part, there would never be a shortage of anything to do any, anywhere in the church. It would all be taken care of. So this is my main concern about preaching this type of sermon on stewardship. Some of you might think that this is the prosperity gospel, and it's about giving for the sake of receiving or the accumulation of wealth. Some of you might even be guilted into giving and give with a stinking attitude, and God knows your heart. But I'm going to say it again. I want, God wants you to become a blessing to other people. He wants you to become a conduit through which he can bless people. But you got to be faithful with what you have before you can become the conduit through which the flow of God's provision will flow. This church has been faithful with what has been given to this church. And God continues to use it as a conduit to bless other people. So how and why should you give? Let's get practical. I want to suggest to you today that you give and think like a farmer. Like a farmer thinks about seeds. I told you that the Bible gives great financial advice. When you get and believe what I'm about to tell you about seeds. In this room today, when you get it and you believe what I'm about to tell you about seeds, you will finally grasp God's truth about money and the real purpose of stewardship. Okay, here we go. We're going to get practical. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I want you to think about your offering and your gifts to God today as seeds. You didn't make those seeds, and you don't have any idea how to make those seeds grow. Let's face it. Nobody really knows how a seed does what a seed does. We just know it does it, so we plant it, right? But nobody really knows. It's interesting that they can find seeds. I read sometime where they found seeds that were uh, buried in Pharaoh's, uh, one of those tombs over in Egypt. And they took that seed after all these thousands of years and took that seed out of that place and planted the ground and grew. How? Nobody knows. You see, the idea with seeds is you didn't make those seeds. 
You don't have any idea how those seeds grow. The seeds are from God. But there are some seeds available right now today. Right now, there are seeds. Everybody listen to me. Right now, whether you know it, whether you acknowledge it, there are seeds in your hand. There are seeds in your hand. And you're like a farmer standing in the middle of God's very large farm. So I want everybody today to put on this thinking cap that we are all farmers today. And we've all got some seeds in our hand. And we're all standing in the middle of God's great big farm. Now, how do you expect to have a large and bountiful crop? I'm asking, how, how do you expect that? You, do you want a large and bountiful crop? No, that's just too much. How are you going to do it? You've got to sow those seeds. And I'm going to tell you what that means. Listen, that means you've got to let them go. You've got to let them go before they can grow. You've got to let them go before they can grow. You've got to let them go before they can grow. Some of you have struggled financially your whole life. If you look back, you would see something you didn't sow. You have not sown any seeds into your future. You ate the seeds. You ate the seeds that you should have sown into your future. You consumed. Listen. You consumed your future crop. And don't have a grimace on your face when you sow those seeds. You're going to get a sour and bitter harvest. Let me put it all together for you. This is important. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Listen carefully. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart. Where's this coming from? What's the source of the seed sowing? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide. Do you believe him? And God will generously provide all that you need. And then what? I told you I wanted you to be a blessing to others. God wants you to be a blessing to others. God will generously provide all that you need. So what? So that you can accumulate wealth? No. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's it. As the scriptures say, they share freely. They give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Sow those seeds with a cheerful heart. Consider it a blessed opportunity for you and for others. Sow those seeds. Everybody in the room, you might not say, well, I don't have no seeds. Yeah, you do. You got seeds. It doesn't matter how many you got. Just sow some into your future. Take part of what you've been given and sow them into your future. Let them go. Let them go. Sow those seeds well, and he'll give you some more seeds to sow. 
Did you see it? Sow them well. Be, be responsible. Be a good steward with the seeds he's put in your hand. And guess what? He'll give you some more seeds. And you, you be a good steward with that next batch, and he'll give you some more seeds on top of that. Not so that you accumulate wealth, so that you'll become more and more and more and more and more and more a blessing to other people. If you see someone that's out of seeds, listen, church. If you see somebody that's out of seeds, give them some of your seeds. And encourage them to sow them. Don't eat them. Give them some of your seeds and encourage them to sow them. Next verse. I'm, I'm going straight through 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Next verse. For God is the one who provides seed. Somebody say amen. amen. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. Do you believe it? And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Greed? No! A great harvest of generosity. You're going to be a seed giver. A blessing to other people. He will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. So that you can always be greedy? No, you'll always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. What proves your obedience to the good news of Christ? You're a seed sower. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift that's too wonderful for words. That you and I, that God would allow you and I to be a conduit through which he will bless other people. I like to pray a prayer of blessing over couples when I do their weddings. I never leave this prayer out. I always pray a prayer of blessing on a wedding ceremony. And I pray that God would prosper the works of their hands and give them an abundance. And when I pray that prayer at a wedding, I say not so they can have more stuff, but so they can have more to share with those who have less. There's always going to be someone around you that doesn't know about this God seed farming thing called giving. Why don't you start farming living this way? Why don't you give it a try? Or you got to lose. And then after you get your first crop, and after you get your first crop and your mouth fall, falls open in awe, tell someone else about this wonderful God that multiplies seeds and harvest, because I'm convinced that's how the church was supposed to work. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And then, what? Honor God with your wealth and the best of what you have, the best in your hands, not the leftovers. The best that's in your hands. Then what? Then what? And then he will fill your barns with grain. 
and your vats will overflow with good wine. What would that look like, spiritually speaking? What does this really mean? This stewardship, seed-sowing revelation from God's Word is both physical and spiritual. He will physically bless you, and He will spiritually bless you. And here's the danger. Don't measure either by the measuring standards of this world. Do not measure either spiritual blessings of God or physical blessings of God by the world's measurement techniques. That would be a tragic error. Let me give you an example. When Janet and I quit our, that job I had and came to this church, we took a 74% pay cut. Now, from the world's perspective, that is financial disaster. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to act like super spiritual, man. There were days, there were quite a few days that I thought to myself, what have I done? I did. Someone asked me, weren't you afraid? In fact, there's one guy uh, at, my, at the previous company, there's one guy that said, aren't you afraid? You got, your wife's a stay-at-home mom. You got three kids under 16. You're going to take a 74% pay cut and take a little bitty church in Anderson County. Aren't you afraid? And I said, I am terrified. But I am more afraid of failing God than failing my family. I'm more afraid. <laughs> you know, I don't, fear can be a wonderful motivator if fear takes you in the right direction. The world would say a 74% pay cut is a financial disaster. But I'm going to tell you, I have a testimony. I am a rich man. I have rich children. Are you hearing me? I am a rich man. I have rich children. I have rich grandchildren. We live under the blessing. This is my testimony. You can't take it away from me because it's mine. And they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and a word of their testimony, and they weren't afraid to die. It's powerful, this testimony thing. Nineteen years ago, my family sowed some seeds in a field in Anderson County. It'd be 20 years this April. Nineteen years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to start sowing some seeds in Anderson County. And what we did is we came here and we joined some people. James and Francis were sowing some seeds here. And Jim and Mary were sowing some seeds here. And Lee and Barbara were sowing some seeds here. And there's several people. And Ruby was sowing some seeds here. And Janet and I came and we stood around these people and we said, we're going to sow some seeds with you guys. And we started sowing seeds. 19 years ago, in this place called Nineveh, we believed that God was indeed who He says He is. We believed all of it. There weren't my, they weren't my seeds. Are you hearing me? Every seed that we sowed wasn't mine. They were things that were, they were seeds that were given to me by God. And we decided to sow them instead of keeping them for ourselves. We decided to sow them into the future. 
We had no idea what God was going to do. When that church had 27 people that Sunday, we had no idea what those seeds were going to produce. We had no idea. The harvest and those seeds has been beyond my wildest dreams. I went back and looked it up this past week. In these last 19 years, 817 people have been baptized into Christ in this place called Nineveh. And you know what's happened? Is that because we sowed these seeds into the future, then God started bringing other seed sowers. And these 817 people, and God's, God's bringing other seed sowers, and now there's a whole lot of people sowing a whole lot of seeds into the future. And, and now what's amazing, which blows my mind, is, is that if you take just the last five years, I went and looked it up, in the last five years alone, this church, this little church in Anderson County has given $1.2 million to missions outside of this place. $1.2 million. And I want to tell you what that means. What that means is there's, there's, a ch- there's people in Russia sowing seeds because we're sending some seeds over to Russia. And there's an orphanage down in Haiti that's, that's sowing seeds because we're sending some of our seeds down there. And there's people taking trips to, to different places in the world. And, and they're taking the seeds that God has multiplied from this harvest and they're giving them to people and they're multiplying them and making a new harvest. He's faithful. Don't tell me about a supernatural harvest. I've been watching one for some time now. And here we are in the room. Today there will probably be about 900 seed sowers show up here. Maybe another 1,000 seed sowers online. This verse usually closes my prayer time each day. Ephesians 3.20. And let me say this before I read it. Everybody listen. You might not know it, but we are better seed sowers together than we are separate. Some of you want to sow seeds all by yourself. Because if you'd admit it, it's so you can retain control of the seeds yourself. You're still hanging on to the seed. But see, when we sow seeds together... We lose control. We let it go. And we allow the Holy Spirit to determine where the seeds and how they will produce in the harvest. We are better farmers together than we will ever be alone. That's the church. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We only have a short time to prepare for such a long time called eternity. Are you hearing me? We only have a short time to prepare for such a long time called eternity. I've been to way too many funerals this past two weeks. I'm not sure I have another 19 years in me. Are you hearing me? I'm not sure I've got another 19 years. But that'll be up to the one that gives out seeds. My testimony today is God is faithful. My family has been spiritually and physically blessed by the God that we put our trust in. 
In fact, I want to tell you, God has given my family generational blessings. He is faithful. Somebody asked me the question, would you do it again? Would you go through and do it all again? Yes, 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 yes. No regrets. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy to believe God. It's unnatural to believe God. It's called faith. But it's easier than the hard way. Because the hard way just leaves you walking in circles in the wilderness until you die. Outside the promised land. One more time. One more time in case you haven't got it yet. Give. And you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So here's the question. Do you believe God? (laughs) Hebrews says faith is to be sure and to be certain about believing God. All of it or none of it? Do you believe this? All of it or none of it? But what if you don't? I I need to say this. But what if you don't believe Him? What if you're not sure? And what if you're not certain? Who loses? God? No, God doesn't lose anything. You do. You lose. What's at stake? Everything. Your soul. Your eternity. This is not about money. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's believing. Remember Jacob at the ladder to heaven event? He said, I believe that you will provide and you will protect And what happened to Jacob? Did God provide and protect? Jacob became Israel. And you think Jacob ever imagined that Israel would be what Israel is today after he gave that tenth? It's not about the physical only, but it's about the spiritual. This issue reveals the reality of the human heart. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your self-centered ways, your selfish ways. You must take up a cross to follow me. And if you try to hang on, here's what I want to communicate. If you try to hang on to these seeds, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose your life. And if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What would you take for your soul today? What would the benefit, profit be if you gained the whole world and you lost your soul today? Selfish people don't take up crosses. Selfish people don't follow Christ. Selfish people don't sow seeds. They can't let go of their control. They can't let go of their seeds. They can't let go of their future. They can't let go of that chair in front of them when the invitation time comes. They can't let go. But you must let go to give. This is not about your money. You can never give until you let go. And this is about your heart. Do you remember those three stupid questions I asked when we started today? Maybe they're not so stupid after all, but very much within your reach because of a very giving God. Do you want financial freedom? Do you want to not worry about money? Do you want financially secure future? 
Do you get it? Do you really, really get it? This is my final test to see if you get it. I'll read it. We'll close with this test. Romans 8, 15. Or you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we can call him Abba, which is like daddy, father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs in God's, of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. I am God's child, and my daddy, are you ready, is rich. My daddy has always been rich, and my daddy will always be rich. Everyone in my daddy's family is rich, though some of them are suffering right now. And did I mention that he's my daddy? I'm adopted, but he treats me like a firstborn son. And all that, I ha all that he has now is mine. And all that I have now is his. Can you say that? I'll ask Chad to come out. All that I have now is his. I acknowledge all that I have now is his. This is a condition of the heart. Give, and you'll receive. But you'll never learn to be a giver until you learn to let go of that which God has placed in your hands. Father, I pray by the Holy Spirit that you will do your work today. Make us generous seed sowers. In Jesus' name, and amen. The invitation's open. Let's stand together.